Hello and welcome to the Races IndyCar podcast. My name is Jack Benyon, American editor at The Race, and alongside me as ever, having comfortably qualified for his 11th Indianapolis 500 and his number one AJ Ford Chevrolet is JR Hildebrand. JR, how you doing? Good, man. Yeah, happy to be here. I know it's been a, a week of ups, ups and downs, but when the field's this tight and you see you know, one of your teammates packing up their stuff to go home, having missed the race, it must be a relief to know. You know, you can just get your focus on on Sunday now and get your preparation in order, ready for the for the big one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you're you're really shooting on Saturday on on the first day of qualifying just to to not have a, a highly stressful day on Sunday, being being in the bump in the bump day sort of shenanigans there, because as as we all know and we've seen it happen, anything can happen there. So, uh, you know, obviously you're shooting to be in that top nine. You want, you want the good kind of pressure on Sunday on pole day, but, uh, for us, you know, certainly we were, we were happy just to take, take what we could get there. So you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Focus on the race. (laughs) It's not often I'm right. So I'll take that. Um, let's do a quick run through of qualifying. As we always say on this podcast, if you didn't pay attention at the weekend that you probably listened to the wrong podcast but anyway just for those people who need a bit of a reminder of what happened and in case we uh, are a bit slow with the edit of this podcast or something and it comes out on uh, it comes out next Monday after the 500 or something we better run through it and tell people what happened in qualifying so um, yeah Scott Dixon scored his fourth Indianapolis 500 pole um, amazingly his first pole in IndyCar since 2017 which is just bizarre I'm not counting Texas race two this year because that was set on championship points. I'm not counting that as a poll. I'm not having that. Anyone who wants to argue with, with me over that can can come and we'll do like a, a Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua situation. We'll, we'll get in the ring and have a box on that one. Um, over a four lap average, he beat Colin Herter by 0.197 seconds, which works out at 0.004925 seconds per lap, which is just absolutely amazing to me. The fact that you know, the, the Indy 500 pole is being decided by that margin is just absolutely incredible. Um, alongside Dixon and Herter is Rina Spike, who's the youngest ever front row starter in the Indianapolis 500. Also the top Chevrolet from the race, uh, he and Ed Carpenter. Obviously, Ed Carpenter, the team owner, they were the two Chevys in the top nine um, and did a pretty phenomenal job, really, considering. While all four Ganassi cars made the fast nine and three Andretti cars, if you count the Maya Shank Racing entry, which is basically an Andretti car with Andretti engineering run by Maya Shank Racing, made up the fast nine. So in last chance qualifying, Will Power was a big name star having to fight his way through, uh, despite having an amazing qualifying record in IndyCar. It's quite amazing to see him in bump day, but that's just how the, the these kind of things kind of go. Um he uh, he scraped through literally having hit the wall on his run, which was, uh, if you've not seen that yet, go back and seek that out on, on uh, social media or via YouTube. Literally kept it pinned, having hit the wall at turn two, side on, which JR is going to tell us about how uh, how tricky you know it is to keep it pinned when you're under that kind of pressure in qualifying and, and things are that difficult. We'll, we'll get onto that in a second. Charlie Kimball, JR's teammate, and RC Ennison of the new Top Gun racing team didn't make the cut. Um, that being said, I just wanted to say at this point, given the pressure and the competitiveness of IndyCar these days, it's no uh, embarrassment to miss out on the Indy 500 at all. And, you know, these guys are missing, you know, missing out by tenths over a four lap, 10 mile run, which, you know, is is is, is absolutely heartbreaking for them. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really difficult thing to watch, but, it, you know, it just kind of shows the the competitiveness of the field, really. The, the average speed over the over the course of the qualifying session is the highest it's ever been at Indy, ever. When you consider, you know, most of the Indy 500 kind of speed records kind of go back a few years now, that's still, um, you know, that's quite a feat for them to to break that one. So, JR, let's start with you and go back to Dixon. He's the man on pole. He's the man, you know, we should be talking about, really. You tweeted Dixon, holy translation of S-word here. Um, why did you tweet that? What made you uh, kind of swear at Scott Dixon. <laughs> it's just really incredible to watch him and the nine crew do what they do in these situations. And so much of it is Scott, just that it starts starts with the driver in that scenario. Obviously, he's the one in the car doing the job. But it's also just this, you get this swirling trust and belief around when you have a driver like that in the cockpit that that all adds up to being able to make that run. You know, you, you heard him mention in the post, I guess, post-qualifying sort of TV debrief that 
he was sitting there in the in the lane and they were making tweaks to the car and they weren't telling him what they were doing, you know. And so I, I just I I think it's important that people understand in that situation, he's probably already going out there with the car set up to be on the ragged edge. And on the ragged edge and qualifying at Indy is, is literally on the ragged edge. Like you're, you're only, there's going to be one corner around the track that the car is, it's probably going to be good. And, and hopefully it's good in three corners. There's going to be one place because of wind direction or track temp or whatever that it's particularly difficult. It's that little bit harder than the other four, the other three spots on the track. And you saw it with Renus when he made his run, turn one, had a little wiggle, but then in his post post qual debrief, you know, said said that he knew that the other three corners were going to be easier. So as long as as long as it didn't happen on the second or the third lap, he knew he was going to be all right. If you just make it to lap four and get through turn one, he was going to be in good shape. I've certainly been there when I was at ECR. We 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 knew that we were going to be right on that limit. Um, it's just a. It really is an extraordinary experience as a driver to to go to come here to do this to to have all of the it's not even pressure or stress but just the magnitude of what you're doing here and and it, it is one of those situations as a driver that you kind of get the butterflies out of a little bit of your fight or flight like a, a much more primal part of you is you know sort of bubbles up when you're qualifying at indy and it, it is something that separates you know uh the the men from the boys from that perspective and and it separates these teams and organizations back to scott that you know to see just to listen to that and kind of to imagine being a part of it and being around it to have a driver that the team knows that they can probably push it over the edge and trust that he's not going to wad the thing up, that he's going to be able to go out there, not only put together four laps, but still extract the absolute maximum out of it, knowing that he's never driven the car in that exact scenario, in that, that exact trim level with that exact balance. And vice versa for for Scott to have that degree of faith in his team that he doesn't even he doesn't even want to know what they're doing to it. He trusts them. He trusts them that they're making the right decisions to st- to to give him the car to go stick the car stick the thing on pole given everything else that they're seeing. That's just an extraordinary degree of teamwork and faith in each other that comes from having a bunch of people that are operating at a super high level. So I just think there's no other place that you see all of that unfold or, or get packaged together like that in one place at one really specific time than here at Indianapolis. And that to me just totally, it totally encapsulated why qualifying at Indy is, is so cool and, and why it's such an important part of just what it what happens in IndyCar for the entire year is you get to see this this whole thing happen among drivers and teams and within the you know between the different teams from a competitive perspective that uh, it just it, it elevates the whole thing um, and and yeah I mean the job that Scott did behind the wheel we you know we know that we know that he can drive a loose car we know that he's the man around here when it comes to that kind of thing he's got you know, attachments of steel, but the, just to, to watch him, Scott's one of those guys when you're watching the in-car that you don't always, I've been sitting in the pit lane. I, I remember, I will never forget this. It was 2015 or 16 or something. Joseph Newgarden and I were teammates at, at ECR. I was just doing the one-off thing and we were sitting in the garage area and Scott was making his qualifying run and Joseph and I were watching the, we, we must've had a late draw or something. And, and Scott was early. He tends to get these early draws. Well, that's the only thing I'll say on, on the, he does, he does get lucky on, on the draw, but he always delivers on the other end. Um, we were sitting there watching his onboard just on the garage TV and Joseph and I were sitting there looking at each other like, dude, he is, 
that thing is neutral. Like it is not, he did not put much steering into that. And it was funny because a couple of the engineers were standing there watching the exact same thing. We're watching it on the same TV while we're standing there and kind of like, Oh, I don't know. That looks, that looks pretty, that looks pretty clean. You know? So there's, it's, there's, there's even between drivers and engineers who are, who are around the paddock, you know, there's these little nuances that you sort of realize like, man, those are the, those are the difference makers. Those are the things that you don't see everybody doing. And they're hard to pick out sometimes. I think this run for Scott, if you were, if you were watching the onboard, you saw it pretty clearly on the last lap that he was starting to have a hard time putting the thing where he wanted to, particularly through turn two, he, he barely turned the wheel the whole way through the corner, kind of missed the apex to run a wider line. Those are the moments where you really see, probably the difference between Scott Dixon driving that car maybe and and what happened with Alex Blow you know earlier and just knowing that you can't quite commit to doing it exactly the same way in that particular circumstance comes with however many Indy 500 pole runs Scott Dixon has had that experience starts to stack up but just super impressive to to see it all happen that way and and I'm glad that as a, as a fan, as a driver who is a fan, you've got some, you've got some investment in the whole thing. It's, I'm, you're happy sometimes to see it look a little bit hard just so that everybody knows this is not an easy thing to go out there and do. So Jack, this is Dixon's fourth poll at Indy. I know you think this is a weird contradiction on his resume. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, it's basically just this kind of running qualifying theme that we have in IndyCar and for, to, to start with Dixon he's obviously got four poles and one Indy win whereas when you look at his resume um, you know he's, he's he's got far more wins than he has poles and it's kind of this weird running lineage between him and Will Power in their kind of career CVs that you can look at um, that, that is basically you know Power has far more poles than he has wins whereas Dixon has far more wins than he has poles and it's this kind of you know, qualifying isn't irrelevant in IndyCar, but it's it's. I think it's less important than somewhere like F1. Whereas, if you took Powers, and I actually wrote about this last year in a feature, is basically, you know, if Power was in Formula One and qualified this well, he'd be a, you know, he'd have won many championships and many, many, many races because his his qualifying performance is is absolutely sensational. But with Dixon, there's this thing at Indy which is which is unusual really for him, I guess. Um, and I asked him about it in the press conference, how important it was for him to to add that second 500 win under the circumstances of him having four poles here and only one win. Because, you know, we, we know how difficult Indy is. You know, it takes such a small thing to trip you up here, uh, over practice, qualifying the race, you know, whatever it might be. And it's just a, it's, it's, it's a weird kind of, a weird glitch on Dixon CV that he has so many more wins than poles in IndyCar. But when it comes to the 500, he's just hasn't been able to, to execute in the race at times. And it's mostly not through any fault of his own. You know, you look even just looking back at last year, you know, he was fairly sure that Takuma wasn't going to make it on the fuel mileage at the end there. And the caution kind of robbed us from seeing what was actually happening there. Cause even to this day, the, the Ray Hall team is still convinced that they were making the end of that race. And so is Takuma <laughs> and Dixon is still, totally convinced there was no chance they were going to make the end of that race without some really significant fuel saving so you know I think Dixon felt the race was going to come back to him there and that it was his to win and it didn't happen and you know we can go back through every single 500 Dixon's done but he's got three second places and a third place and numerous top fives um, and it's just a it's just an interesting quirk of how the 500 works that that some people can turn up and just rip off three wins you know, pretty, pretty quickly. Um, people like Dario Franchitti who just managed to get it done. And it's, 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 it's not luck. It's not good luck for the, for, for someone like Dario and bad luck for someone like Dixon, but it's just a quirk of what it takes to win this race. And, and I think why people find it so fascinating is because you can do absolutely everything right in the preparation, in the qualifying, in the race itself. And you can finish at the back, you know, just through, things like strategy yeah. and conditions and you know when the last caution comes and what you're doing with your fuel mileage and stuff like that it's just it's just what makes it a fascinating kind of event really but you know we, we, we briefly mentioned power there and I've got to say I'm sure you will have seen this as well on the TV because I know you were you were paying attention on Sunday at, at the track even though you weren't having to actually drive the car um that, that power just looks so exhausted in that morning interview before he actually got in the car he just kind of looked I don't want to say dejected because I think that's probably the wrong word. I don't think he was, I don't think it was a negativity there. He just looked completely exhausted and kind of accepting of what his fate was going to be. Like it, it was like uh, either I'm going to qualify or I'm not. And 
I haven't really got any kind of feeling about it because it's going to be so difficult to kind of make it. And it was like, he wasn't committing any thought to it. You know, the, the, the fact that it could go either way and the run itself just, you know, the, the to, to, to smash into the wall like that side on and, and just to keep it pinned, just to, you know, you, I love the phrase that you used before the, the attachments for, <laughs> for Dixon, but to, to, to smash the wall at 220 and keep it pinned, you know, that, that is, that is uh, some some level of commitment from from Will, and I think that was um, that was one of my favourite kind of bump day moments from 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 recent memory. And I don't wish anyone to be in that position, obviously, but you know, to to see him come through that, to crash, and to still you know make it through to the race was was um, you know pretty sensational for me. Just how much of a surprise inside the paddock were Penske's struggles because. This, this kind of happened last year and it's kind of run exactly the same lineage. Last year, people were watching Penske in practice and thinking they had a really good race car and they struggled in qualifying. Um, and then in the race, they weren't great either. So that that kind of assessment of their race trim was not accurate last year. And I've got to say, I watched it and I I, I made the same assessment. I thought Pagano's car last year in practice was, was the best looking car in terms of just what you were mentioning with Dixon before about being neutral and just there wasn't much steering input going in, everything looked really comfortable. Even in the draft when we know it can be so difficult, you know, five or six or seven or eight cars back, it can be really tricky to keep the car, you know, in line, but Padrino looked fine in practice. And then when it came to the race, just didn't really have the pace. And then we've kind of seen the same kind of thing happening this year is Padrino has been picked out by many people as a bit of a favourite again in terms of race trim. Um, obviously he had the engine go in practice, yesterday night so that's going to uh, affect his kind of warm up for the 500 and how he gets on a little bit but yeah just from inside the paddock between drivers between you know your team and just people you were speaking to how much of a surprise was it to see Penske struggle that much in qualifying after they'd said how much work they'd done in the off season I guess I think that's probably the thing that that is most surprising is some of the big teams like Ganassi included Andretti included Penske is is the the obvious one that we're sort of talking about right now and they go through these they occasionally go through these waves or ebbs and flows of being hyper competitive being the ones to be clearly the best when they when they're on the right side of the manufacturer fence basically at the 500 you know Penske just a couple of years ago stuck I think like all three or four all of their cars in the top nine and a bit like an Assey this year and 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 outran Ed Carpenter Racing for pole, you know, when when Pagano was on pole and won the race. And then they'll they'll have some years where maybe they're not as good, and they seem to sort of chalk that up to maybe not evolving their process as much in some of those years after they have really strong years. Maybe they divert a little bit of attention to. They never really come out and say any of this, but you sort of get a sense that, okay, we, we kicked everyone's ass at this last year. We're going to keep doing all the same things, but maybe divert some of those, you know, extraneous additional resources and people and whatever that we required to get to that level from wherever they were at previously and make the cars better somewhere else. And the reality of it is every year, anybody shows up at Indy like that, that has, has the resources to be good every year which all of those big teams do, and they're not, then it's the most significant failure of their entire year. And so it makes it makes you look at an Ed Carpenter racing and say, all right, you might knock them. People do knock them for how much they focus on Indy. But guess what? They every year show up here and deliver when it deliver at least on speed. And that's the only guarantee. Like, that's the only sure thing. You're never, to your point about Scott earlier, you're never really going to know what happens in the race. The fact that Ed Carpenter has never won an Indy 500 and he's got three poles, more, even more extreme than, than Scott. It's been a few years. It's been a little while since he's really even been in the hunt. But that's just because it's Indy and weird stuff happens during the race and being on slightly the wrong strategy or slightly, you know, having some screw up during the event or whatever, those things all play a really significant role. It's not Monaco. It's, it's the antithesis of Monaco from that perspective. <laughs> and so I think that that's, and, and you just pull back a little 
and we'll compare those two situations with ECR. I mean, that keeps that keeps their whole program rolling year to year. Is just this, uh, you know, commitment basically to being good at the 500, and then they deliver on it every time and that keeps sponsors happy that keeps all the guys on the team happy you can have a pretty lousy rest of the year and just you know that you can look forward to all the stuff that you're going to do as a group to be good at indy the next year and they've they've done that so many times now that it's pretty reliable whereas with some of the big teams you just don't see quite that level of consistency i think because they've got so much other stuff going on and they are they are focused on the championship so they at some point have to kind of consider where they're allocating their resources this year the this year for me with penske is kind of an outlier from that perspective because they said they were putting so much effort into it and after last year they they felt like this this should have been where it was kind of returning you know the sinusoidal like curve was going back up you know and and so to see them go out and i mean i was at at aj Foyt, and this is no knock on on our our guys have been doing an awesome job but nowhere near the resources of penske i could have out qualified joseph we would have been better than three out of the four penske cars like that for those guys is unacceptable and for them to be that far away from the fastest Chevys is totally unacceptable. I just, I mean, not not from the outside, but I'm sure from within the within the organization, they're they're looking at that like, okay, what what in the hell, you know? How are we how are we this far off of those two or you know at least two of the of the ECR cars, and then to have Will and Simon just completely out of the picture. Simon was probably sitting there sweating it on Saturday just to not end up kind of falling down the falling down the order for Will where he's at. I feel bad for Simona. Like you'd normally be sitting there thinking you're stoked that you're in the sort of fifth pseudo fifth Penske entry. And then you're sitting down there with Will Power in the bottom five, you know, like this is the worst possible year to be in that extra Penske car from that perspective. So it was clear that, you know, we we heard sort of in through the rumor mill of the paddock that overnight from Saturday to Sunday, they basically did a, you know, four corner overall on the 12 car, like changed complete kitchen sink setup package on the car. Like that, from their perspective, the handling of the car was just so far off that they needed something completely different to go back out there and and get it dialed in for for Sunday. That just shocks me to hear that 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 they were that far off in the first place. That maybe to me that's maybe an indicator that the car that between the four Penske cars, that maybe there's that big of a difference between some of the cars, which seems bizarre. Those, it strikes me that, and maybe that's normal for those guys, but that strikes me as this is sort of the type of place that you want to, you, you do really to get good reads on changes that you're making. You kind of need to be on the same package as the rest of the cars in your team. So that, that all by itself was a weird thing to hear that they're doing and then will i mean you know his his run by in some in some respects is just as impressive as scott's is but it's for 31st or wherever he ended up instead of for the front row i'm sure will feels that way about it that that was about as 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 on the limit as you're gonna get he did obviously actually hit the wall so the car still wasn't working that great uh, you know, so he hit the wall coming out of two. That was not just like a glancing blow. That was a pretty good like thwack. You saw the the wheel and tire sitting there in the pit lane. The toe was totally jacked up. Apparently, I'm just impressed that he went flat into turn three. I mean, that that to me is okay. So you hit the wall, you keep it flat going down the straightaway. You got how long? How long are you on the back straight? Like four or five seconds. You know, maybe it's five or eight seconds or something like that. So you got a you got a brief period of time to think about is this thing still going straight right now and what is it going to do when I turn into turn 3 so to just have the 
to have that degree of commitment to only pedal it once he was in the corner. We saw on the on the on the screen or on the telemetry that he bent in flat and then kind of gave it a little, you know, brush back to 90% throttle or something through the corner. But yeah, man, I mean, that just, it just shows you, it shows you how offset that whole situation ended up becoming for those guys, that that's what it took. And it, and basically that is what it took, you know, for him to, for him to get in and Simona right behind him, I'm sure with more downforce to, to do that time, but just an incredible sort of turn of events. And I don't, I, I go coming into this year when we talked about this all earlier, I thought Penske for sure would be whether or not Chevy was totally dialed that Penske would be back in the fray here. And it, at this point, it really, they look okay in, in race trim, but when you're that far back, if the car is just not working that well, if it's not fast, there's not a lot you can do. You're not this, the way that the race works at this point, you're not it's the, the arrow package of the car and, and all this stuff. You're not going to, you're not going to just on pace work your way through the entire field. You know, this is not this, you know, that, that went away when the arrow kit cars left basically. So for Simon and Will and those guys, you know, that's, it's going to be, it might be a long day for those guys next Sunday, which is just crazy. Yeah. Just, just before I move on, I wanted to pick up on a few things you said there. Cause I, I kind of made some uh, mental notes as to, as to some of the things you were talking about there. Cause I think you're right to raise Ed Carpenter as being a, you know, a pretty standout performer of, of that event and showing that it's not Chevrolet's problem. You know, it's, it's all too easy when we've only got two engine manufacturers to, to point the finger at them when things don't go correctly. But you know, I think Honda does clearly have the optimal package in in my opinion, but also, you know, Renus is on the front row and Ed's just behind. So if you get things right, that, you know, the, the, the package is good enough to be up there. So there's no, there's not really any excuses in my opinion, unfortunately, you know, don't mean to be too harsh about it, but you know, it's, um, it's, it's a difficult one, but if, if there's cars up there doing it, then that means that, that that window is accessible and that it can be yeah, done it can yeah. be done and you're you're i think it was really interesting what you were saying about you know it being really important for a carpenter racing to do well at the 500 but also maybe that kind of um accentuates how well renus has been doing because obviously he won the first race to, to start the month of may um and, and if he can continue chipping in like that in a kind of new garden type way of just adding a win here and there to go along with you know the the good performance that's going to be massive for that team moving forward and a really big kind of draw for them. And also just wanted to point out that, you know, we, I did kind of allude earlier that we had a similar problem last year with Penske to the point where they were struggling to qualify and they looked good in race trim. Um, and Joseph Newgarden was, Newgarden was the top qualifier last year in 13th for Penske. And he turned that into fifth. And if people remember the race or maybe go back and watch it and just kind of watch the, the, the kind of last stint because Newgarden came out in front of Sato in the last stint last year. So, it, with the right kind of adjustments, there's a good chance Newgarden would have been in the in the fight for the win. And he he did say after the race last year that you know it was it was the the kind of they, obviously they were ahead of Sato in the last stop, but they just didn't have the speed in the last stop. They didn't make the right changes. They didn't have the right car to fight for the win. But in another scenario, if they had made the right changes, you know there's a good chance Newgarden would have been you know up there mixing it with the guys. And I, the only reason I raise that is because I I noted that Scotty McLaughlin was 12th at the point of before people went out and started doing improvements. And obviously at that point, Penske like vetoed him going back out. And he, he spoke about this afterwards and, and said it was one of the most fun things he's ever done. And he, he literally, he can't wait until next year's 500 qualifying, which was a bizarre thing for someone to say he's got their first Indy 500 coming up <laughs> next weekend. But he was like, yeah, I just want to go and qualify again. That was one of the fun, most fun things I've ever done. Um, and I, I just found that quite interesting because if we kind of, correlate last year's race to this one if we're in a similar situation where Scotty's able to move forward like like Joseph Newgarden was last year in the race and and we get to the point where McLaughlin's kind of in the in the shot for the win they might just regret the fact that they didn't go out again because they've dropped to 17th in the starting starting order now so that's that's you know going from 13th or 12th in 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 Scotty's would-be case you know, is one thing, but going from 17th to the front is, you know, a totally different order. And I think it's also important to raise at this point, you mentioned about the, you know, the whole moving through the field going away since the, since the area kit went away. And I think also, 
you can you very well can chime in on this but my understanding from speaking to the drivers over the over the last week is that if you're in the front four cars in a train then you're going to be able to move around pretty freely and keeping the leads going to be quite difficult at times you know depending on what's going on with fuel saving and all that kind of stuff but if you are at the front of the train you're kind of the bogeyman and then anyone who's fifth back is really going to struggle to make any serious moves because the train's going to be long you're going to be you know in dirty air it's going to be really tricky to pass so i think that is another thing to raise because obviously last year's 500 was the first with the aero screen so we were kind of there was a lot of uncertainty surrounding that and we didn't know what the you know what the package was going to look like in the race and it turned out it was you know if you're outside the top 20 you were basically there you know for the for the remainder of the race and that was you were going to struggle to move forward and i think it looks like it's you know with the current aero package even though it's making you know the front four cars in the line move around a bit more freely it's not going to change a whole lot further back so that'll be interesting to see but one thing i did want to ask you about was you mentioned simona di silvestro we've not really talked about that team on the podcast i don't think since we since we started it and i wrote a couple of features at the start of the year about this team when when it came out um that, that beth peretta had launched a peretta auto sport team just think it's a to be honest just think it's a, a phenomenal thing that they're doing there i think you know any opportunity to 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 get you know, different people into motorsport is a fantastic thing, regardless of gender or anything like that. I just think it's fantastic that they're, that they're doing this. Um, but at the end of the day, they're here to compete. So we've got to judge them, you know, on the same as everybody else. And that's what Beth had wanted to do is to judge them same as everybody else. So what was the kind of feeling after qualifying about, about Pareto Autosport and where they're at? I mean, obviously you mentioned it's probably the one year you wouldn't want to be a Penske affiliated entry, to be honest, uh, maybe last year as well. But, um, you know, how seriously are people taking Simona? Because she was rookie of the year when she came in and she's a very uh, a very established driver, um, obviously in her own right. And and that team, you know, they've been talking about the the kind of work they've been putting in and they, they've they've tried to have an all-female pit crew going over the wall. And they, they spoke, um, you know, in the build-up to the 500, they spoke that their, their first pit stop was a stationary 17 seconds, which would just be like, you may as well not bother, really. In, in, in an actual right. IndyCar race you know if you're going to be that slow you may as well not bother but they've got that down to a roll in five five seconds now and that's an average so they've done some sub five second stops which is phenomenal when you think about it and like it's it's just the, the amount of work that they've gone through and this is just from this is effectively just from January and they've been getting up at four o'clock every morning to to work on this and to be honest it's probably not going to be an all-female crew that goes over the wall in the 500 um, but you know Beth said they're here to compete that's that's their modus operandi if you like you know they're they're here to to try and win the race they're not here just to just to to take part and be females in motorsport you know they want to win so right that's a, a nice little story i think leading up to the 500 of just how much work that's gone in and those that work's gone in knowing that they might not even go over the wall in the race but they've still put that work in and they've still got the stops down to five and a half seconds which i really hope you know i'm pretty sure we're going to see them later in the season um one of the last few races of the year so it'll be um it'll be really nice if we can see a proper all-female over the wall crew because you know that i don't think that can be underestimated how big that is really to be honest and hopefully there's some there's some young girls watching even if there's just one young girl in the world who watches that team you know compete this season and is inspired to take up motorsport then that's done the job that's that's good enough for, for them and i think good enough for us as well so really hope that happens but yeah back to the after that waffling back to the actual question, how seriously are people taking Simona and that team, you know, heading into the race? I think coming into this, coming into the 500 this year and the practice and all that kind of stuff, you know, I can speak for myself in saying for sure that, that I have a, a really high degree of respect for Simona just as a driver. She's we, a lot of us have competed against her in the IndyCar series over the last decade or so. She's always been competitive. She's, she's definitely the real deal. And spent the majority of her career racing open wheels. So this is where I think she's most comfortable. It's where her skill set was derived. It's what she's it's what she's sort of built for. As a team, coming into the whole thing, certainly, you would anticipate that if it's a Penske affiliated program, that it's going to be legit from that perspective. Like we talked about earlier, maybe not the best year to be in that situation. So I guess it's one of those things that just as you we you, you sort of judge groups just based on how they sort of start to stack up over the course of the week of practice. And seeing that her among some of the other Penske cars, especially as the boost got turned up and you started seeing more single lap speed that was legit rather than just the timesheets that you see at the end of the day each day, start to realize maybe that car isn't quite as good as 
we might have expected for it to be. So on those grounds, and just given where she's starting, I don't. I think a realistic expectation or, or a realistic hope for them would be certainly just get through the race and kind of try to get into the top 20, basically. I think that's that's a reasonable expectation if they do a really good job and Simona does good work behind the wheel without having crazy stuff happen during the race, just getting through the race on on merit, let's say. That would be, if I was starting there, I would be thinking the same thing. If we can get into the, if we could be sniffing the top 15, that's probably a good day. So unfortunately, that's just the where they're at from a competitiveness perspective. I would say switching gears to how you might look at this otherwise, what they're doing is really extraordinary. Just for the team for a team to come together that late, basically, is a really uh, that's a big deal all by itself. Yeah, they've got the support from Penske and Penske built the car and whatever else. Like we know that there are some of those things behind the scenes that are going on that help, but there's a lot of stuff that still happens. I mean, I can say for, we got a brand new chassis. It was right across the street at AJ Foyt Racing a month and a half ago or something. And we're boys have still been rubbing on that thing all week to try to get a little bit more out of it, a little bit more speed. There's all this stuff that's still going on just during the week of practice. So it's not a, it's a, it's quite a feat just to be here for all of them. Brett Beth has said that a number of times when folks have talked to her throughout the month, just being here, you know, to, to do it is, uh, is something in and of itself. And I got to say, when you talk about the pit crew, so when we're, I guess when we're talking about Simona, she's definitely the real deal as far as race car drivers go. I think this is her first time back at Indy in a little bit. They come back here next year. She'll be more dialed in. She'll be more prepared for this. There'll be less of the, it'll be less of there being this new thing that's happening as a driver, especially here at Indy, there's enough, there's enough going on just to drive the car. There's a, there's enough expectation that you have of yourself here that you you know that qualifying is just it's whole this whole thing that's all its own we talked about scott earlier i think the same is true for ed these guys that we've identified as they're just gonna be whatever the circumstances they're gonna be in the fight for the pole it's because qualifying at indy is unlike qualifying or racing or whatever at anywhere else like it is just its own it's its own motorsport discipline qualifying at the <laughs> indy 500 you know you could ask fernando about this i'm sure that uh you know i think for simona i'm sure there's just a lot of there's just a lot of noise this year that she would just as soon block out and not have to deal with. She comes back next year. The whole team will be more prepared for that. They'll just be more in in the groove, I think, from a competitiveness perspective. Talking about the pit crew, though, and and the the group of ladies, and and there's some guys from Penske that are that have that are in there helping out. They look totally legit. We were down. We're sort of down in the same area of the pit lane. I was watching them do some practice stops, like. I think they for sure could put all of those ladies over the wall and like they're, they look badass. They look, they actually, I, I would, for anybody that's listening to the pod and I would say this, I would holler this from the rooftops here in Indianapolis. If you're going to be at the track on carb day or on race day, dads that have little girls, like go walk down to their pit, go go or whatever by the grandstands behind their pit area and make sure you get a good look at, those ladies jumping over the wall because they look as rad and fast and quick and on point as you just walk by them in the pit lane and like puts a smile on my face like oh damn those those ladies are like killing it here it's really cool it's it's just a cool it's a cool vibe to have around the track because sometimes you know, I, I, I know my, my wife would not, would, would not stress me saying this, like the, you know, so when you're, when you're going up and down the pit lane, you go through racing stuff, you have some of these situations over the years that like 
there's this kind of female, you know, you get these kind of female things going on. And I guess there's, it, it tends to be that there's, when you see, when you see these female forward sort yeah. of <laughs> opportunities exist and this type of stuff happen when it gets into the media and it's, it's hard for it not to end up leaning in this, not a feminist direction. Cause that's, that, that's not a bad thing. Right. But just this, this more, it's, it's more of like a sensitive kind of, you know, we're creating opportunity and, you know, it's, it becomes, it, it becomes just kind of its own whole thing that starts to feel like, okay, well, are, are we also, aren't we also just here to go racing and going racing requires that you can just do all of these things and it require we like we know from being in it and it's not a um it's not because it's a, a masculine point of view or something but it just you know it's kind of a gritty thing to be doing you know it's not like we're not all all, all none of the guys in the pit lane are like all all pretty and made up going and doing this you know and so when you see this group out there you're like oh they're just racers like they're they're here because they think this is badass and they're good at it, you know. And that, that I'm just it's cool to see that attitude coming through. That it, I mean, I I honestly have been sitting there like, okay, now I I want our team to hire some of those. Like, where did they come from? <laughs> you know, they they obviously weren't here in racing before this this whole situation. They've talked about that that there's they're from kind of various different backgrounds and all this kind of stuff. But it's like, okay, are they were they like X NCAA, you know, field hockey or you know softball or something like we're, we're track and field? Like, let's go get. <laughs> we need we need to find more of these more of these women to be out here because it's just a good vibe to have around the track. And I've been super impressed. Um, it's just cool. Like, it's cool to, it's cool to see it and cool to see it in that like racers kind of mentality and point of view. Yeah. So I'm, st I'm stoked for them and, and I'm sure, you know, it's whatever that from a competitive perspective, this is going to be a tricky event for them to get, for them all to get through. I'm sure there'll, there'll be some, they'll have some good stops and maybe some, you know, they'll have some eight second stops or whatever, but, uh, everybody up and down the pit lane does. And, uh, I'm excited to see where it all goes for him. Yeah, I think Simona, there's a reason why Simona is intrinsically linked to this program as well, because, you know, people have asked Beth repeatedly since the program was announced if they would do more races this year and what the plan was and when they would do a full season, et cetera, et cetera. And her answer has always been, well, Simona's tied to Porsche. She's a Porsche factory driver. So when she's free, we'll do a race, basically. And, and there's a reason why yeah. Beth is committing this kind of multi-million pound race team commitment to one driver and what what her plans are because she is the perfect person for this she is every bit good enough to win the 500 given the right opportunity and you know i think if i'm remembering six years ago correctly i think 2015 felt like it was simona's big chance and she got the andretti drive for, for 2015 um and, and that was a massive thing but andretti just weren't quite weren't quite on it that year it wasn't quite a great I mean Marco was sixth I think in, in that in that year it wasn't it wasn't a woeful year for Andretti but Marco was the only one in the top 10 and the, you know the, the rest of them struggled quite significantly and I think it just felt like that was a big opportunity to really get the chance to, to try and win was was that year and it, it never quite happened and then she's come back this year with what should have been the perfect opportunity with a Penske you know affiliated car having a whole off season of Penske work done in the background and obviously that's not not quite played out. But the other reason why she's the perfect person for the program is if you ask Simona about women in motorsport, she is happy to talk about it. But any question you ask will come basically with the answer, yes, I'm a female, but I'm a racing driver and I'm here to compete. And that is the undertone of every answer she will give you. You know, she's got some very intelligent views and very deep views about women in motorsport. And, you know, she'll talk about those. But basically it's under the prefix of I am a racing driver, not just a woman racing driver, basically. So to your point, she is, that is why she is the perfect spokesperson for this program because she's a racing driver first and she's a woman second in this scenario. So it's, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I would, I would just say being around all, you know, I've been around a number of female racers and this is no, no knock whatsoever against anybody else. But if I had a young daughter and I've got the option of, 
introducing her as a, as a, to, to get a feel for what female racers are like. And, you know, you've got Simona and Danica as my options in the pit lane. I'm bringing her to Simona first because to me, she is just, she's just here to race. And that's, that's actually the fact that she's a female and she has that point of view is what makes her the perfect person, just like you said, uh, to be the, the sort of, um, you know, to be the, the, the face of this organization. I'm sure Simona will uh, come and join us before, um, you know, it's yet to be confirmed whether they'll do another race, but, you know, best mentioned it a few times now that that, that is, that would be the, you know, the, the plan if they can do it, they will do another race. So I think we'll, we'll grab Simona before, before that race and have a chat with her about that. But yeah, you know, you were talking about, you know, where the people have come from and, you know, Lauren Sullivan is basically the assistant engineer on that car and she's a Penske NASCAR wind tunnel engineer. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a really nice kind of link up there, you know, a person with lots of wind tunnel experience, which is obviously going to be great for, for Indy and yeah, just generally a lot of experience. But then you add um, Andrea Bazzato who's also on the team and in, in the pit crew and she's uh, not long out of the military. So, you know, she went from the military to the NASCAR Institute of Technology and then was was picked up by Penske from there. So yeah, you know, not you know, some of them some some of the people in this team have got, you know, motorsport backgrounds like like Lauren, but a lot of them have been, you know, picked from different areas. And I think this is the point, you know, if you if we want to get more women in motorsport, we're not just going to be we're not just going to be able to pick the women who are already in motorsport. You know, we're going to have to open this up to to different areas. And it's it's great that they're it's great that they're doing that and providing a, a place for them to to compete, which is which is great. So, yeah, Jr. One more practice. Got two hours of carb day left. Um, it's a little bit longer than carb day has been in the past, or or as is usual. So, what are you up to this week? Um, and the big question: Have you got any superstitions, or do you do any kind of like creative visualization of the five hundred in your head, or anything like? That? How how does your kind of mental preparation play out? Some good questions. As far as this week, normally this is a really busy week for us. And just because of COVID last year rolling into this year, I I guess, honestly, I was expecting to have a bit more on our schedule this year. But as it's turned out, there's just not that much going on. Normally we have uh, a media day on either Monday or Tuesday that all the drivers get spread out all over the U.S. I'm usually the guy with the longest flight going west somewhere. Um, so I'm not hating the fact that that's not a part of our program just to, to not have to burn up a day doing, you know, a lot of travel, but, uh, those, those things all got kind of shifted around and we're doing a lot of just remote, remote interviews and things like that. We still have a community day on Wednesday, which is always usually kind of a big deal out here at the track. They're bussing kids in from all over Indianapolis to come check things out and through the museum and tour around the track and all this kind of stuff. So we're, we're doing, we're still doing some community activation on Wednesday with local schools. Uh, that'll be something that's, that's always honestly fun for us to do. Um, rolling into Thursday, that's our just revised sort of media, media block, you know, blocked media here at the track. Uh, and then Friday's carb day. So frankly, not a lot going on over the course of this week, which is kind of nice. I I think especially for the teams, for the drivers, we're used to just whatever, ping-ponging around, doing different stuff over the course of this week. But the teams, man, it's a crazy, it is just a crazy, crazy, I mean, our guys, I can speak for for us, it's the same for everybody else. But yeah, I mentioned earlier that we've got, you know, we got this car kind of late in the game and they're still prepping it throughout the week. So the garage is closed at 8 a.m. or 8 p.m. at the end of the day every day. Those guys were back at the track at like six every day, if not earlier, just to keep prepping the thing daily. So these are super long days, you know, to be at the track from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day, let alone you know, whatever you're doing to, to communicate, to commute and get here. Um, and just, Everybody does it with, a, I don't know, with a smile on their face is quite the right the right phrasing, but but uh, they know it's a part of the program. So uh, for those guys getting a day off this week at some point, I'm, I'm sure is is very welcome. And then you get towards Carb Day. It's funny, Carb Day obviously gets its name from Carburation Day back in the day. It was, you know, it's the closest practice to the weather of the upcoming weekend, which is how they tune their carburetors. For us, it's sort of translated into arrow tuning for whatever we think the weather is going to be for, for race day. 63. So that's a big 63 was last time we had carburetors at the 500. Well, so, somewhere around that. Is range. that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 
Um, so it's gone through a long period of time where it meant absolutely yeah. nothing. And, and now we kind of, uh, you know, we re reinvented what we think about in terms of the weather for the race. It looks, there's still a chance that the weather for race day is sort of dramatically different than, than what it was, uh, than it, what it, what it has been for a lot of this, these last weeks and, and, uh, heading into this week. But anyway, those last two hours of practice, you'll definitely get in some pit stop practice, uh, you know, especially for the non full-time groups of guys, that's a really important, uh, a really important part of the process. And you're just making those final setup tweaks. You'll, you'll spend a lot of time thinking this week, okay, we've got a couple of things that we want to try to build into the setup of the car to be able to do a, this or that a little bit better. And hopefully it's, hopefully it's just getting things to do, do things a little better, not a lot better because two hours definitely is not that much time. But, um, you know, for us, I, I can speak for us at, at AJ Foyt racing, we bounced around around some different stuff over the course of this last week on, on our car, on the one car we felt like on Thursday going into qualifying we mentioned this in a pot in the the last pod that we did prior to the week of practice that just in the last couple of years the the setup and aero configuration all that stuff between race and qualifying has diverged a little bit more significantly so you're running just different bits and pieces on the car and different ride heights and and all this stuff that, that then potentially trickles down to creating a potentially significant difference in the mechanical package on the car so before we switched over to our qualifying stuff on, on Thursday, we were just doing race running and felt like we, we made some pretty good gains just searching around the aero map and, and doing some different things like that. Um, Sebastian Bourdais yesterday, our team car tried a bunch of the stuff that we did in the final practice at the end of the day from five to seven on, on Sunday and got the same read. And so we're, we're rolling into, we're rolling into Friday, uh, into Carb Day this week, between the two team cars at least, and and Dalton's I think along for the ride there with the rest of us, um, very much on the same page, and and that's as as teams that's what you're hoping for at that point is you're all you've all might you have all played around with a bunch of stuff over the course of the week of practice, and hopefully migrated back to the same back to the same package, and you know that just gives you that chance as as multi-car teams to try a few more things and hopefully get again, kind of clean reads that you can trust what you're getting from the other guys. So I know from our perspective, we're feeling pretty good about that right now, being able to head into head into carb day with realistically 90 minutes to try things on the car and, you know, hopefully, hopefully get some good value out of, out of what's left there to just find that little bit more grip and a little bit more balance in the thing. So that's what we're, that's what we look ahead to. And then rolling into the race, you know, it's, I think for me, from a mental preparation perspective, honestly, you spend, you're not, I'm not spending a lot of time thinking that hard about particular situations. You try to think a little bit about, I, I definitely spend a little bit of time thinking about just who am I around at the start of the race and maybe watch a little bit of video from the last couple of years of in that part of the pack, what does this tend to look like? We're starting in the inside, which is, I would say, altogether a safe place to start, but not always the most opportunistic place to be. So some, you, you'd rather not be in the middle, generally. Uh, sometimes if you're on the outside, you'll get some lanes that open up on starts and restarts that you that you don't have access to from the inside of the track. But it all depends just on how the accordion of the field kind of ebbs and flows on the start. And and sometimes if you're on the inside or the outside or whatever, you just get a cleaner look at the first corner and you've got, you know, your pick of where to go. So there's so many different things that can happen that to some degree, you, you, you can sometimes get yourself in trouble by too specifically planning out what's going to go down. And I know for me, even just, you know, getting ready for qualifying over the last couple of years, you know, last three or four years or something. Um, we've had some, ended up having some really good runs and cars that, you know, we, we were really extracting the most out of. And I think for me, that's come from just 
really just trying to be as in the moment as possible and trusting having your intention be really clear of what you're what you're there to do and uh i think that that helps just raise your level of attention and assertiveness generally to the situation but then being really open and accepting of the fact that you can't control a lot of what's going on and that for me has been a pretty successful strategy just to feel like I'm getting the most out of whatever ends up happening. You know, you become, you're trying to just be as in tune with what the car feels like in that moment. Because when I think back to, you know, I've had some, I've had some great starts at Indy from kind of mid pack or, or further back where you, you pick off four or five guys or three or three or four guys in the first lap or so, just from kind of finding the open lane or starts and restarts. I've had some races where you lose a spot or two and you know, looking at kind of when it goes right, it's usually just because bending into turn one, you get a good feeling from the car and you know that it's going to hook up wherever you're sticking it. And then you commit and you go and it's, and it's, it's second nature. It's not because you, you know, pulled a Tony Kanan and just decided before the race that you're going to go to the outside and pass, you know, 10 cars in the first three laps that, that just doesn't really happen anymore with these, with these things. Um, so, so anyway, I, you know, try to keep it simple and, um, you know, control the things that you can control. And that's, that's pretty much my, my approach. And I think the same, the same for a lot of these guys out there is it's, it's a pretty mellow vibe in the green room before heading out to the race. You know, you know, you know, it's a long day and, and, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to just kind of not expend any more energy than you have to before it's time to get up and go. So that's the, that's the plan. Well, I know like me, you're a, a lover of the history of just the sport of motorsport in, in its totality, not just IndyCar and, and the Indy 500. So I've prepared a, a quick quiz question, which is based on one of my fa- favorite areas of trivia for the 500, which is where people win from on the starting grid. So you're, oh, man. So you're 22nd. Sure I'm going to be great at this. So, do you know how many people have won from 22nd on the grid in the Indy 500's history? I'm hoping it's a bunch. Um, it's not. <laughs> I would guess it's not, though. Um, is it zero? No, no there, there, has been. there has been. Okay. How many? I don't There's know. There's been two. Okay. Who are they? Ah, see. This is what you'd like to know, isn't it? So, I've prepared a couple of notes just to... <laughs> just to reel these off for you but George Suders was the first in 1927 okay um, that was the last Duesenberg win at the Indy 500 That's and cool. also not long after that event uh, Eddie Rickenbacker bought the Speedway which was massive, massive for the preservation of the Speedway through that you know kind of yeah, following of period so that's a pretty cool year um, yeah and the other one was 35 Kelly Patillo 1935 Okay. And that was the first Offy win in Indy 500 history. Okay. Those are some, those, I'll, I'll take those two, vibes. Two little, two cool little tidbits of inspiration there for you for, for next Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There's not any re- more recent I mean, I think- than that, I'm afraid. But, you know, as we know from the 500 records and, and history are there to be beaten and broken. So that's, that's what we're expecting from you for next Sunday. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it was interesting being out there in traffic just for, for whatever it's worth that I think, you know, you mentioned it earlier, but something just for people to kind of look for, I think, uh, heading into carb day and, and towards the race is this idea now that the cars actually do have a fair amount more downforce than they did just last year with all these sort of little bits and pieces that we've talked about a couple of times and where the efficiencies are with the car that you do have a scenario where I think you, you don't want to be the leader. I would totally agree with that, that the, the first car out there in line, no matter what you do, is just a total sitting duck. I mean, if you're, if you're out, if everybody's out there saving fuel, maybe you stick around, but uh, the cars tend, the cars are definitely draggier with, with the additional downforce that you need. You can peel some of that out in the last stint. So you might see the last stint start to start to spread out a bit more if you've got really good cars that are up front. But that it's going to be an interesting dynamic because you have the first four cars in a line, certainly at the front of the field, but even if you get some separation throughout the field, those first you know couple of cars in a group that 
you'll see some genuine passing, like real, just not because somebody's messing up. Two cars maybe flat out. Second car, third car can can make that happen just with the with the sort of natural movement that goes on corner to corner, straightaway to straightaway. And then you'll usually get this second group of cars that's kind of five to ten back that they're not going to be able to just pull up and catch the fifth car probably just can't outright pull up and catch the fourth car but you've got a whole different type of accordion effect among those that second group of cars which is you're trying to commit to being flat through turn two or turn four or leading onto the straightaways to get the run on the car in front in 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 then at that point like really dirty air and sometimes you can't and so you have a big checkup you know at the exit of turn four and so you almost have this this second group that's more prone to little mistakes, basically. Not mistakes that are going to put a car in a wall, but mistakes that are just in the timing and the flow of being in traffic. And I think that's actually where the biggest difference has been made, or, or at least as big a difference has been made from last year to this year, is that last year I thought it was basically such that even when a car messed up in front of you, if you were five or six cars back in a train, you were so far away from that car that it often just screwed you up too. And so all of you just had a big checkup and were off throttle off the corner and that was that. And so there was never any movement there. The This kind of slightly revised package has, I think, enabled enabled the, the seventh car in line to take advantage of a mistake from the sixth car in line in that kind of situation, uh, which I think, you know, I'm, I say that optimistically given where we're starting that hopefully we can we can make something of it but i think there's a lot of guys a lot of guys that are thinking the same thing so um you know that's a a bit more of what we'll be looking to do in in carb day and uh something for folks to watch for for the rest. well the record for lead changes in a single race is 68 from 2013 so maybe we'll see that broken but <laughs> could get beat something tells me it probably won't but i think it'll be i reckon it's going to be up like in the 30s and 40s for sure for, for the, the for race sure. Yeah, we'll see, I guess. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But yeah, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Races IndyCar podcast. When we return next week, we'll have uh, an Indy 500 winner. There, there will be one. Hopefully it'll be you, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see who it's going to be. And the pod will be back to break down all of the action and the major storylines around the biggest race in American motorsport. So we'll see you then. 